Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Dr. Natalie Solomon is a clinical psychologist and director of research at Bellavista Share. And uh, we're discussing the adolescent brain, adolescent brain of that young person that's not quite an adult, but not quite a baby at all as well. Very, very complicated. And, and, I, and I understand that we are having this conversation on a day when social media is a buzz. Um, and we've just heard it now as well on the news of a story that broke yesterday. I think um, the young learner who was bullied at school and subsequently committed suicide. I mean, it's it's just absolutely tragic. Um, and I was wondering about many, many things. I was wondering about the child who was bullied and I was wondering about the one that was bullying as well. So let me just get into it. Dr. Solomon, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. So what's what's an adolescent brain? As I said, not quite an adult, not quite a child. How how should we then view a person in those ages? So it's very interesting um, that the parameters for adolescence have actually changed. Um, with um, uh, improvements in neuroscience, we actually see that the brain develops, um, continues developing from 12 years old until 24 years old. So in fact, adolescence is extended far longer than we initially thought. Um, really? And that has, you, yeah, said, and you said to 20? Till 24. So no we way. do not have a fully formed uh, <laughs> adult brain until we are 24, wow. which gives us uh, yeah, some interesting clues to how we should make oh decisions. Gosh. <laughs> and, oh, my you know, gosh. And then there are people, people who get married at 20. And married <gasps> and driver's licenses, et cetera. Wow. But our brain is very much in that transitional period um, between not being a child any longer, but not quite being an adult. Um, and there's significant differences in terms of the way an adolescent brain works um, and how it lays down memories, how it engages socially. Um, so really, its functioning, its wiring, and its capacity are all very different to a child brain or an adult brain. So, so how does an adolescent reason? Very interesting. So actually, um, the adolescent has what we call hyper-rational thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also coupled by their drive for for dopamine. Mm -hmm. They have an increased need for dopamine. Mm -hmm. So they tend to focus on thrill-seeking, novelty-type activities. Coupled with a hyper-rational decision-making and focus, which means that they focus on the outcome, which they tend to predict as being positive, so Mm -hmm. they focus on the calculated benefits Mm -hmm. rather than on the potential risks. Mm, um, okay. Which has its pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Um, you are brave. Huh? <laughs> you you yes. become brave, you are invincible exactly. and all of that stuff. Exactly. And I, I think that um, you know research suggests that it's part of nature's way of propelling the youth out of the home into the world. Uh-huh. And that if they were kind of surrounded by fears mm-hmm. and anxieties, they wouldn't quite engage mm. so robustly. Mm-hmm. So that actually it's a protective mechanism to get them out into the world, sure. but that they actually do still need um, adult direction and protection. That's where the tension lies, though, isn't it? Because you have this eagerness to go and just go and go do everything and be, as I said, you become invincible and all of that. And and yet the world needs some level of measure. Absolutely. 
Um, and, and, and unfortunately, some of the consequences, um, you know, are lifelong consequences. A hundred percent. So, I mean, one of the things which is really interesting is that they say uh, mortality rates go up by 300 percent in the mm. adolescent years. I think mm. that is frightening. Mm. And the number one cause of death is motor vehicle accidents. Mm. And often the, the fatalities are related to kind of errors in judgment mm-hmm. or poor decision making. Mm. So they, they imagine that things would be better. They, they're not cautious. Yes. Um, of course, um, another issue is uh, substance abuse mm-hmm. or alcohol abuse or any any kinds of um, dopamine driven abuses um, because again it's seeking that kind of a hit uh, in terms of the dopamine and not necessarily taking into account its impact um, as well as they surround themselves with their peers and their peers become their everything and really quite difficult in terms of their connection with adults so they don't have adult influence to kind of temper them down and help them make more measured, calculated decisions. They're generally um, promoted or encouraged by their peers who are in the same kind of thinking mode. So it, it, it feels quite frightening, as well as if it is directed positively, it can be phenomenal. You know, we've seen amazing inventions and creations mm. by young people. Mm, mm. I mean, sportsmanship, and you, you can really get a, a winner of, a, of an adolescent if, if that energy is channeled correctly. Absolutely. And in fact, um, what's so interesting is that the brain is at its peak performance in terms of learning. Ah, yes. The adolescent brain is the most efficient learning machine. Um, not to say that later really? on you can't learn, but actually it's best, it's primed at that time. <laughs> That's so funny because, you know, a lot of young people will tell you, oh, I hate school. Oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And, and yet you say it's at its peak at that point. Yeah. So it, it lays down memories much faster. It's easier to learn and it's much more efficient. At the same time, it has levels of inefficiency in terms of moodiness, in terms of lack of discipline. And so it, it's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of like a... Let's address a, the, mm-hmm. the emotional well-being of an adolescent. Mm. Yes. So... Um, yeah, so emotionally, it's, it's quite a stressful time. It can be in a very exciting time. There's a lot of vitality. Um, what's interesting to note is that, um, that the hormone that responds, responds typically to stress, to modulate anxiety, it's called THP. It's got a very long name, mm-hmm. tetrahydropregnanolone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so in adults, this hormone helps us manage stress better. In adolescence, there's almost like a fault in the design, and so it exacerbates anxiety. It makes it far worse. Mm. So their tolerance for stress is far less than when one's older. Um, and then another interesting thing is that they, they've done um, fMRI scans on uh, adolescent brains, and they recognize that adolescents are more likely to misread facial cues than adults or children. Really? And so, so that when they're reading emotional images, yeah. they are quite inaccurate, which means that they're going to be influenced by their gut reaction rather than thinking through, actually, is that? That might not be the intention of the other person. So they... 
they're quite vulnerable in that way. Yeah. And, and, and to what extent is the environment a big influence on their, you know, mental health? Yeah, huge. Absolutely. I think that, um, again, this is a time where they're very focused on peers. Um, and again, again, there's lovely parts to that because they're developing the independence and the individuation. They're beginning to practice intimacy. But um, if they are not necessarily surrounded by um, grounded individuals or maybe um, if there's a lot of distress and trauma, um, there's emotional contagion that happens and they're likely to be highly influenced by what's going on around them. And, and I ask that because you know how often you would have children go up, grow up in the same home mm. and, and are totally different emotionally, mm. um, you know, how they would uh, evolve emotionally would be com- completely different, even though yeah. the input was the same in, in the home. Yes, but remember, even though children grow up in the same home, one's parenting style is not always the same with each child. Uh, There are different parents to different children, as well as their experience in the world is different. Mm. So I think that's important to hold. Although, I mean, the general environment might be one of tolerance Mm. or one of intolerance, and Mm. that will have an impact. But one would look at the personal relationship between parent and Mm. child as well. What an interesting thing to say. Mm. Um, let me just take a, a quick voice note. I tell you what, sure. let's, take, it, let's take a break rather so that we can sure. then uh, have time to respond to that. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. We are very interested in discussion. Now I understand why some people who are already over 20 still react um, in a way that. Uh, tends to be the behavior of teenagers. Uh, very interesting. I wonder if there's a research document out. We want to actually read on this. Um, thank you, Alfred Harris, recent paper. All right. So Dr. Natalie Solomon is a clinical psychologist and director of research at Bolivis to Share. Uh, Dr. Solomon, you, you said there is research to back this uh, up, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it's uh, one can look up. Um, Daniel Siegel is a neuroscientist who has done a lot of research on the adolescent brain. But um, there's many um, research articles that have shown it's still shifting and maturing. (laughs) When does it actually begin? Is it the same for all children? Again, I think there'll be variability. I mean, you get a precocious 12-year-old and you get a very immature 12-year-old. So it will vary, um, again, um, in terms of the family, often a firstborn is going to be different to a lastborn in terms of the introduction to the adolescent world. Um, so I think there's significant variability depending on individual mm-hmm. circumstances. How, yeah. how do we know that this actually is the personality of the individual as opposed to it being influenced by the fact that there are all these hormones happening? <laughs> Like it does certainly feel like they uh, become uh, yeah, not quite human in this period. Yeah. So it feels really hard. Yeah. Um, but I think that one would look at kind of long-standing and enduring patterns of engaging, mm-hmm. and one would look at you know how do they typically 
attend to matters or respond to things. And whatever that is, there'll be a, an exacerbation of that. But mm-hmm. it's not completely alien to who they are yeah. as a person. So the thing about adolescent uh, is that that's, it's normal, right? The same way we have menopause and so on. This, this is absolutely normal. But the, the, the difficulty is that there are times where we resort so quickly to interventions like medicines and so on. Mm. At what point... Um, is it okay to consider interventions or just leave it as it is, leave it alone? Absolutely. So I think absolutely. This is not a diagnosis. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a normal developmental period yes. and transition, and it's very important that they do go through it. But again, one would want to look at the quality of their interaction. One would want to kind of understand levels of distress. So you look at intensity, you look at duration, and you look at its impact on daily life. Mm. So if you see that the impact on daily life and levels of engagement is significantly problematic, then one would want to intervene. At the same time, having said that, I am a real believer in intervention mm-hmm. in that if therapy is helpful, um, it doesn't always have to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. It could be a mentor. It could be um, a teacher. But I do think that teenagers need to be closely aligned with um, caring, nurturing adults um, and not be left to themselves to handle it. Mm -hmm. I do think we do need to intervene in that way to help them just understand and normalize some of the experiences and also note when things do actually require um, professional input. Mm. Alfred is calling from Cape Town. Good afternoon, Alfred. Good afternoon, Pamela. It's a very interesting discussion having here with the doctor. Thank you. Um, I... I work in the field of I'm working in the field of young people with uh, challenging behavior. Mm-hmm. Some of them is committed to horrendous crimes, mm-hmm. uh, and so this this um, study actually uh, said the thing that you mentioned earlier around the fact that um, young people act impulsively mm-hmm. is very very imp- is very uh, significant in the world that we deal with these with the challenging young young boys because they often do something before they think so. I understand the doctor correctly. There tends to be a normal behavior for young people then to act. I wouldn't say irresponsibly or irrationally, but they they respond on, on impact because mm. the, the other thing that I also the doctor said is that they 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 miss misread or misinterpret facial expressions. Yes, that's very interesting. Then, so it's a very interesting point that that the, 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 the doctor has raised, and that's why I'm interested to know whether whether there's a research. Uh, documents available that one can actually actually read up on, and also to provide this kind of information to, to the practitioners in the field. I'm in the field that is not well known. It's called a child and youth care work, mm-hmm. where we work with with young people and the young people, and we sometimes tend to think that it is the background from where these young people uh, come from mm-hmm. that impacts on their behaviour. And I, I understand now that that might not be all true. Yes. Could just be the development of their brain, and, and that. So yeah, it's very interesting, and, and there's some information that I think in our sector, it would be it, it would be very valuable to have access to to, to this kind of yeah. research. This is I, yeah, I, I fully agree with you, Alfred. Thanks for that call, uh, Doctor yep. Solomon. Your response to that? Mm. So yeah, there's lots of research. Um, I'll again uh, refer you to Brainstorm by Dr. Daniel Siegel. I'll also refer you to a book called The Teenage Brain by Francis Jensen. 
Um, and if you want, I can uh, send a list of references. Um, yeah. that we'll definitely, yeah, we'll also post that online Absolutely. as well. But yes, but I think that what's important is um, it, it is a time where they will push limits, where they will misbehave, where the impulsivity is at its peak. But not to forget that they still do need limits. Mm -hmm. And that's not an excuse. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, well, it's it's an excuse for bad behavior and Mm -hmm. allow them to do that. They really do require us to put in limits because limits keep them safe. So I think what's important is that when teenagers misbehave, it's important that it doesn't trigger the teenagers in us as adults, but that we're able to stay in our adult mind and help them think through and manage some of the consequences of their behavior. Yeah, I'm going to ask that, um, that maybe you help us with then how do you assist with that limiting of some behaviors? Because that will probably move into what we call discipline and, yes. and not push too far because they are impulsive because they, they, you know, they, there's some things that you've mentioned. They don't read our facial expressions well enough that you don't push them too far while you try and contain the spontaneity that could be quite dangerous for them. Absolutely. So I think what's important is to recognize that parenting matters Uh and it's really important and that often our senses, they're pushing us away. So let's just go away. They don't want us. Mm. But actually parental presence and attunement is absolutely critical at this time. And so we need to first not take their behavior personally. So it's not a reflection of us as human beings. Oh, that's tough. Um, (laughs) Even if they tell you that, uh, because, you know, they're also manipulative, right? Very. Absolutely. So so you will have a teenager saying, but you're a bad mother. You're, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, So not to take that personally. It it can feel difficult. um, Absolutely. And And it's a balance because there are times where certain kinds of things are unacceptable and we will take it personally as well. Mm. But I think that we really need to keep at the forefront of our minds that parenting teenagers is about creating closer, attuned relationships. It's about building resilience and it's about resource resourcing them emotionally um, and preparing them for life. And so um, it, it does require a lot of flexibility. It requires a lot of maturity on the part of the adult and the parent. And the biggest gift that you can give your child is to work on yourself. Understand your own triggers. Understand your own responses so that you can separate out what is my storyline and mm-hmm. what is actually unacceptable. Mm-hmm. There's a question here. Uh, it's an SMS uh, from Olisa who's saying, if we all understand that the adolescent brain takes time to develop and grow to full maturity, then why is the expectation from schools, for instance, that they grow fast? Absolutely. And I think that's that's a problem. I think that we really do have to relook at certain decisions that we put in front of them that they're not ready to make. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, in terms of choosing subjects, in terms mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. making oh, yes. lifelong decisions, they're not ready for those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it is something we need to really relook um, and give them opportunity to make big mistakes because that's part of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow we've made the consequences too big and so... Yeah, We don't give them this playing field mm. where they can learn the skills that are necessary. Mm. 
Yeah, you make such a good point because, as you said, the consequences can be so, you know, detrimental. Um, the result could be that the child never gets access to university, for mm. instance, because they, they don't have a specific subject, whereas they just didn't know better and they've evolved Absolutely. into somebody else. A hundred percent. Let's take a quick break and um, we'll be back. I mean, look, Dr. Dr. Solomon, before we go, um, mm. Can you just maybe quickly give us the the, the, the one or two uh, online platforms where people can get um, the info that they were talking about? Sure. So we actually uh, work for um, Bellavis to Share Online, mm. and we're running a adolescent training and adolescent workshops. So if anyone's interested, they can look there. Yes. Um, and then back to, um, as I had said, um, there's the Dr. Daniel Siegel's work of Brainstorm. There's Francis Jensen's work, The Teenage Brain, um, which are really helpful resources for people to turn to. I had hoped we had more time. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so sure. much, Dr. Solomon, Dr. Natalie Good. Solomon, clinical psychologist and director of research at Bella Vista. 2.30, let's go to Utsila Sako for the latest in headlines.